This is a Stimulus Network podcast. The Cosmic Shed. Hello, and welcome to the Cosmic Shed. I'm Todd Hewitt, Hewitt, and today's episode is all about chaos walking. There was a terrible crash. I'm Todd Hewitt, the man. We're lucky to be alive. Whoa, whoa, stop! Don't come any closer. It's a girl. Girl, girl. Oh my gosh, girl. I'm sorry. No, blonde hair. I've just never, never seen a girl before. Who are you? It's so loud here. We call it the noise. Happens to all the men on this planet. Every thought in our heads were on display. The story of Chaos Walking is there's a planet in the future and for all we know, there's only men on it. But we can all hear each other's thoughts. And the story of the making of Chaos Walking is also rather chaotic. His time. The rights to Patrick Ness's Chaos Walking trilogy was bought by Lionsgate back in 2011. And it wasn't until 2017 that the film actually, you know, filming of the film actually started. So in that six years, the script was written and torn apart and rewritten by like seven different writers, including Jamie Linden, Gary Spinelli, John Lee Hancock. Christopher Ford, and even the author himself, Patrick Ness, he dove in. Uh, and then in 2013, Robert Zemeckis, of Back to the Future, Contact, Castaway fame, was going to direct it. But then Doug Lyman took up the reins. And Doug Lyman, of course, did The Born Identity. Most recently, he did uh, The Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise and Looper. So, you know, he's got sci-fi credentials, but he is famously one of those directors that will go off and do his own thing, terrify the studio and fix it all in post. And it turns out great. However, after they did all the filming in 2017 with hot young stars, Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley, and also Mads Mikkelsen as the villain, they did test shooting and apparently everyone hated it. So, They had to get those stars back. But those stars, Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley, they're a busy bunch of talent. Daisy Ridley was off doing Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Tom Holland was doing Spider-Man Far From Home. And as such, the reshoots were not able to be done until April 2019. So that is like a year and a half after the film wrapped. So they did the reshoots. Then the film was meant to come out in 2020, and then for some reason, something happened. I don't know what happened. And finally, it was released uh, on Amazon Prime. Well, well, not on Amazon Prime. You can rent it on Amazon and Apple. It's a premium video on demand here in March, and I think it got a very limited theatrical release in Korea and also in America. But um, I've yet to see it, but from what I understand, the... uh, Critical response has been lukewarm and it definitely has not made its money back. So it sounds like Chaos Walking might be the the only film of the trilogy we will see. Why haven't you watched it? 
what stopped you? Well, I'll be honest, uh, because of my job, I get a lot of screeners. I've been watching another Mads Mikkelsen film recently, Another Round, which just won the Best Foreign Film Oscar, and I'll be working on the marketing for that in the UK. So um, nice. I've been working on that. And also a lot of these films I'd rather see in the cinema. So I haven't done the premium VOD rental of Kong versus Godzilla, because that's the first film I want to see in cinemas when they reopen. And uh, yeah, I, when it comes to that, I understand why studios are doing it, but as a lover of cinema, I don't want to encourage such behavior. If studios realize they are gonna get loads of money just from premium BOD, then they're gonna skip cinemas altogether and just do that. And I would personally prefer to watch these big blockbusters on the biggest screen possible. Argument. I think it's a fair argument and I feel slightly bad for renting it now. But As you should do. Yeah. I'll stop now and um, I'll get a second vaccine and then I'll go to the cinema. It is May the 4th. Is Mads Nicholson going to play Thrawn in Ahsoka? Mm. No. Because oh. his brother does the voice, Lars Mikkelsen. Oh. Okay. So how bad would that be if your brother took over the role that you did? <laughs> However, saying that, if they were to kind of recast someone else as Grand Admiral Thrawn, I reckon it would be Jason Isaacs would be a, a good yeah. fit. But just also take a moment to point out that Mads Mikkelsen is conquering all known franchises. A, he's already Galen Erso in the Star Wars franchise, so he can't just go off and play yeah, another so. character. That would just be confusing. He was in Doctor Strange, so he's already in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He's been a Bond villain. He has just done Chaos Walking. Two great critical <laughs> acclaim. He's going to be taking over from Johnny Depp in the Fantastic Beast franchise. He's just been cast in the new Indiana Jones film. There is nothing that Mads can't do. And for my money, the best Hannibal Lecter. Controversial. He plays the accountant in uh, the acclaimed video short, Rihanna, Bitch Better Have My Money. Yeah, he, he basically got asked to appear in a Rihanna music video and his kids basically said, if you don't do this, <laughs> that's it, you are dead to us. Thanks, Ty. Um, I'm not actually Todd Hewitt. I'm Andrew. And with me today are... Steve. And... Tishna. And... Russell. And I'm delighted to say that joining us for the first time... And as I'm sure you'll all hope after this, not the last, is my colleague, the wonderful Hannah Little. Hello, I'm a senior lecturer in science communication at UE Bristol, uh, where I work with, with Andrew, who's a lecturer in the same unit, the science communication unit. Um, but my background's in cognitive science and linguistics, which we're going to be talking a little bit about today. Indeed we are, because in the film there's this concept of the noise, which is people's thoughts externalised because we talk about this idea of an internal monologue. Is there a voice inside us? Some of us seem to have it, some of us don't, that talks through what's going on in front of us, maybe is thinking about something else. The inner monologue it's called. I'm not quite sure I understand it. I think Steve's going to tell us that he does. That's all to come because before we go any further, I should mention that we're releasing this on May the 4th because... The film stars Ray herself, Daisy Ridley, and it is with no little excitement that I can tell you that we're also going to hear in this podcast from Daisy Ridley. 
The film, as Ty said, is directed by Doug Lyman. And here's Daisy talking about working with Doug. He's interesting, Doug. He's got quite a process. He's hilarious because, like, I jokingly said, why don't I have, like, a whistle thing that I do and, like, look up to the heavens and, like, summon my ship, jokingly. And he'll go, yeah, okay, and really consider it. There's something so sweet about that. You think, yeah, you don't shoot down any silly ideas. He definitely has a very particular way of working, but it ends up great because his films are awesome. And he also makes uh, really good dumplings, which is a bonus. How cool is that? Daisy Ridley <laughs> on The Cosmic Shed. But Hannah, you've read the books. None of the rest of us have read the books. This film was the first book, which is The Knife of Never Letting Go, even though they've called it Chaos Walking, which is usually used as the um, the title for all the trilogy, the three books together um, by Patrick Ness. Um, I don't want to say too much about them because spoilers. Hmm. Um, but I, I think there's some really interesting places where the, the books uh, differ from the film. Um, so in the book, uh, all of the animals have noise as well as the, the men, which you mentioned at the beginning. Um, and I think... So just it's just men and animals, but not, not women. women, no. What about female animals? I can't remember if that is ever addressed. <laughs> it's a good question. It's a good question. I think when, so when the film started, I knew nothing really about it. And you could hear the thoughts, see the thoughts of the male characters. And there's a horse there. And I thought, why can't we hear the horse's thoughts? Sugar cubes! Sugar cubes! In the book, we can. You can hear its noise. And I found it. So I um, have the audio book and the dog just says, Todd poo, Todd poo, Todd eat, Todd food, Todd bleeding, Todd. It's, it's always very monosyllabic and I found it quite annoying. So it's possible that they had it in the original edit and thought, actually, this is going to get really old really quickly for viewers. Um but that I don't know if that's the case. Sausages, sausages, <laughs> stick, sausages. Stick. stick. <laughs> so I, I think that's a really interesting question because dogs are able to perceive English words, and there's been incidents where you know you can train a dog to um, have a different word for up to five hundred different toys, and say the word, and it'll go and get that toy, and you can train it to respond to its name and say sit and. Uh, everybody who's got a dog will, will know all that, but I don't think, um, I'm not sure if that would translate to the dog having English words as thoughts. But what was even more confusing about it right at the start of the film was that, um, if I remember correctly, Tom Holland's character seemed to suggest that he could see or hear the dog's thoughts because he says something like, you don't have to tell me every time you want to take a shit. And I was really confused. <laughs> and I thought that I'd missed something. And I'm like, was there a really tiny thought? Or like, is it under the dog? <laughs> did, did I miss it? Did I need to rewind? But then he kept sort of vaguely talking to the dog and seemingly getting a response that we weren't seeing. So that was confusing. It's almost as if they originally made it with the voice, the dog having a voice in the film and then took that out <laughs> and then forgot to take that scene out. <laughs> Mm. So, so in the book, then the animal's noise is perceptible because so what well, it there's a universal translator babblefish thing. Our thoughts, words though, because their thoughts when we see them are kind of displayed as pictures. So maybe maybe it's the actual thought and not the language. 
this game. This this brings me to like the main science-ish question, right? What is going on? A, A, how does a planet make your inner monologue outside? I was at Brighton Science Festival and there was a mind-controlled scale electrics. And I was like, this is definitely just going to be some bollocks, some joke, right? And the guy who ran it was very austere and quite stern. He was like, put this headband on. And I was like, this is definitely some joke, like there's someone underneath the table with the like the controller speeding them up or something. And he went, I need you to focus on this LED and lighting up the LED. So as I did and focused on this LED, my car started to move. And the more I focused on the LED, the brighter the LED got and the car got faster. And I was like, this is definitely a trick. So there was an attractive woman who walked into the room at that time. And I thought, I'm just going to test this. And I checked her out. And as soon as I did that, my car flew off the tracks. Yeah, that's why you checked her out. Yeah. <laughs> of um... course, 100%. 100%. All in the name of science. <laughs> this is the Cosmic Shed, which is science facts, science fiction, and everything in between. And this is definitely on the fiction end yep. in the way it's presented. But let's kind of go with it. How does a planet make your thoughts visible? So Russ... If that was real, and and there are things that do that, right? Then you can you can measure people's brain activity, and 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 if you can measure something, you can use it to control something else, right? That's just engineering. yeah. So so the, the the whole idea of this scale electrics is that it had been programmed to tune in to the brain waves that you give off when you focus on something. So this is how they did so. All different types, our brains give off beta and alpha and theta waves, and which are all blasting out. So I'm guessing that this awesome planet, New World, had some kind of way, some dust in the air or some field that allowed those waves to be visualised. Well, I think with the electrics, it's quite broad stroke, right? They're just measuring how much activity is happening in a certain part of your brain rather than the detail of that activity and what that that would translate as in a person's experience and their thoughts. Um, and what um, a lot of people assume when we think about our thoughts is that everybody else's experience of our thoughts, of their thoughts, are exactly the same as everybody else's. So I thought it was really interesting when Steve said earlier, um, you don't hear thoughts, you visualise them. Or, or both, yeah. So, so like, um, we see some pictures. And is, is, the, is the dog thinking sausages and the concept of a sausage is, th- is what's being transmitted rather than the word sausage or woof? <laughs> well, the point I'm trying to make is that is that your inner experience of your thoughts will probably be very, very different to mine and Andrew's and everybody else's, um, we just assume everybody has the same sort of inner monologue um, pictures or or, uh, some people experience thoughts as more as feelings. So when you wake up in the morning and you think, oh, fuck, like, today's going to be awful. Do you actually think, oh, fuck, do you visualise what's going to go wrong or do you just have this feeling of of impending doom? And... uh, everybody's experiences is really really diff- different so in the movie 
all of everybody's noises um, <clears throat> presented in exactly the same way. Everybody's got uh, these words coming out and there's pictures sometimes. And um, Except for that whack job preacher, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so his experience is really, really different. And that's kind of um, illustrated. But I think there's a lot more diversity in the population than, than anybody realizes at all it's kind of like that thing where everybody assumes that they go to the bathroom in the same way that everybody else does because nobody ever watches each other go to the to the toilet but then it actually turns out people do do it in different ways yeah. that's a completely different home. planet that's a completely different <laughs> planet <laughs> one of the things that really kind of stuck out to me about the noise was that um a, you know, the fact that they all seem to have this sort of almost similar way of thinking, but also um, apart from when they're trying to control the noise, right? And not just when they're trying to control it or, or hide away so that people can't hear what they're thinking, etc. Um, everyone seemed to think or, or speak in their mind in a very sort of controlled, you know, like... Um, <laughs> It wasn't like a free-flowing monologue, kind of like, or, or a random free-flow like most people have, because you're not actively trying to control what you're thinking all the time. That's the like the, the rambly bit, or however it is for different people. Maybe some people do think in much shorter terms. Maybe some people do think much more visually in their heads. But I feel like all of them also sounded very similar, and it didn't feel very natural. And that's one of the things I was thinking that if you, if for example, you were in a situation where this happened, where someone could always be listening to your thoughts, etc. Would it actually change how you think? Would, would would the fact that there is an observer to your inner monologue mean that your inner monologue is completely different than it would be if it were completely private, like it is for us? Because because like that 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 scenario of someone being able to constantly hear what you're thinking is like my idea of a nightmare, you know. <laughs> Just, yeah. I mean, second followed second closely by only being being but by being forced to listen to the inner monologue of every man on any planet. Fair point. Fair point. Maybe all the you know initially I was thinking, oh god, maybe all the women just fucked off somewhere. They were just like, can't. And they made a joke about that later on, right? Where they were like, the women were like, she was like, it's too loud. I can't sleep in the same house. Ordinarily on the ship, we talk about the film first, right? But this is called Chaos Walking. I keep wanting to call it Chaos Wandering because I just think that sounds lovely. <laughs> but, and so why not let's be chaotic about it? Let's just let the conversation go wherever we are. But I'm just going to pick up a couple of threads. I think that the way that you get a planet to just put everybody's thoughts out there is that you have some kind of planetary formation, then evolution happens, and then eventually you invent Twitter and Facebook and everybody puts all their thoughts out there. Here's... Daisy Ridley. I read the script first and then I'd read the books and I thought it was such an interesting concept because what Patrick Ness does so well is make something that is appealing to a really broad audience. But then you come away with it and you think, oh, and it's there are all these things that you didn't sort of realise you were seeing and then it's hitting you and you're like, oh, it's the interaction between sexes and what happens when people control and coerce people using power and uh, lies and so it's all of this stuff layered underneath this fun action adventure so I was interested in all of that and then also you know it's fun getting to learn to ride a motorbike and stuff like that but watching it as well it's so beautiful even though it's a very dark story it's such a beautiful film and there's so much hope underneath it all which is what we all need now isn't it just 
And we'll hear more from Daisy Ridley later in the podcast. Uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing, isn't it? But um, I can't help but think when she talks about hope and this idea of reading people's minds that I would like to see a world where we don't hear the thoughts of a man whose thoughts may be let the bodies pile high. Anyway, enough about him, enough about that. Uh, Steve, we have a bit of a love-hate relationship with a, a billionaire to do with science, uh, to do with space, to do with uh, space exploration. And he's got an interesting new escapade, hasn't he? Elon Musk's uh, startup Neuralink released a video of a monkey playing a video game with its mind. Yeah, and, and to, to summarise... They've got 2,000 electrodes implanted in this monkey's motor cortex. Um, uh, from what I've seen before, they've, they've got a, a way of doing it that's less invasive than previous kind of neural probes or whatever they're called. Um, and this monkey can play a computer game. I don't think it was Super Mario, but um, it, it seemed to be... Oh, it's my, Mind Pong. So we, we can measure things. Um, Hannah said that it's it's sort of the, the the stuff that's going on in the squishy bits is unique to individuals, but are there similarities? Could you could you pass it in the same way, or do you need to train it to to everyone? Um, so something like what's going on, which is people's brainwaves being read and then displayed, could be true. If I think of an apple, will a future Neuralink know that I'm thinking of an apple or if I'm just cross are we at that sort of level um I think so there is similarities between everybody's brains so everybody's kind of um uh language bit is in the same bit and everybody's reading bit is in the same bit and so but your experience of an apple is is very very different from my experience of an apple um because am I thinking of the word apple is Possibly even more different, yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting again because in the film, um, none of the men in in um, Prentice Town can read. So when you're thinking of the word apple, they probably don't have um, uh, see the word apple um, in their mind. And some people's thoughts do manifest like that. And that's a really nice example of how somebody's experience massively influences how they think about something or how it manifests to them when they do think about it. So for you, it might well, be the I, word I didn't happen. have the, the letters A-P-P-L-E in my head, but now I've got it in my head, printed <laughs> on a piece of paper in front of me. So, yeah. Some there's, people there's different... do. When they think of apple, they have the word in front of them. Um, and you might have a picture of an apple and somebody else might have the, the, the speech sound of apple. Or the taste of an apple. It might be that too, yeah. Sound, smell, it could be anything. Memory of a sound or a smell. Last time you ate an apple. Well, it can't be A-P-P-L-E if you've never learnt to read. Um, so that is one way to kind of illustrate how somebody's ex experience of the world massively affects how they think about certain objects. So I think the only way that Neuralink could work would be to have to train on each individual so you train it so it says think apple think apple think apple it measures what your brain's doing and then it'll be able to do that but um there's no way you could ever get a system that would work for everybody so this this one's saying that it's it's in the monkey's motor cortex and it's like mm -hmm. things like that seem a little bit more hardwired than than apples yeah if i'm like move my left arm yeah. is that a more direct connection yeah. to a particular 
thing that's going on. Yeah, in the, in um, the brain. and that's an older part of your brain as well. So that'll be why it works in monkeys and it'll probably work in humans as well, because those older parts of the brain are the bits that are more hardwired in the same way that our, you know, it's, it's the bit that they call the lizard brain, the bit that gets hungry, the bit that wants to have sex, the bit that expresses our urges in the same way that animals have urges. I think that there's somewhere there's a crossover between exactly what we're saying like with the motor culture you know think the things that we do as we go through the world almost if that makes sense or whether it's walking breathing you know making sure all the things that happen in your body without you actively you know making them happen you know <laughs> all of those things versus an act like an actual sort of your internal monologue etc your feelings your emotions your empathy and I mean that's that whole thing about like where is it consciousness and where is it just the kind of processes that say a cell and an amoeba can do and then a slug and when it goes from a slug to a I don't know a butterfly and then a butterfly to a bird or then to a monkey and then there's you know there was that really interesting book um called um other worlds I think it was called and it was all about um octopuses Brilliant. uh it was the science book of the year like five years ago such a good book and that was really interesting because um the author whose name i've completely forgotten right now um makes this point about how octopuses are so different from us because they're 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 almost he said that they're the most alien things on the planet because evolutionarily we we deferred on the evolutionary trees many 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 generations ago so evolutionary them and anything that's human and, and most of the other animals we develop very differently. And so octopuses, they have really different brains. So they have like a main brain and then each one of their arms has a little individual brain, a very basic brain. And each one of those brains can almost work independently of each other and of the main brain to do different things. But then it all comes together to work as one brain when it wants to I was just thinking like what what is its idea of thought and you know we know that octopuses can build fucking underwater cities now so like you know what what's their idea of consciousness and thinking it's like and punch fish just for the sake of it just to say and that what, book is what? called other minds rather rather beautifully <laughs> other minds the octopus the sea and the deep origins it's by peter godfrey smith russell i was going to say so wouldn't it be awesome to take an octopus to New World. Yes. But then I was like, hold on, because there was already an octopus there. And instead of seeing what it thought, it, what's his face, just jumped in and started stabbing it as like comic <laughs> effect and then ate it and it didn't even taste that nice. And I was like, oh, well, that was right. great. That was Thanks. Right. There was an octopus there. We could have learned something amazing from <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah. Just to say congratulations to my octopus teacher for winning the Oscar and uh, Pippa Ehrlich, who's obviously a Previous guest on the Cosmic Shed. Congratulations, Pippa. But that was A, Steve. What's B? So B, um, I'm very aware that down this road be dragons and I am not the right person in several different ways to make any sort of comment on it, okay? So I reserve the right to retract anything. Um, so we've established that, that maybe there's a way that, that uh, abstract thought could be uh, picked up and projected somehow. Not sure how it happens in the air. Um, actually, holographic display uh, in nature, like that's a whole other thing. We've I've talked about the sensing, but not about the visualization side. And and it does it for uh, some humans, and it does it for some of those um, aliens. What did they call them? Spackle. Spackle. Isn't that what you plaster? Yeah. It sounds like a northern way of saying my daughter's guinea pig. Spackle. <laughs> 
it does it for some aliens. It doesn't do it for animals. So is it a higher order thinking thing? I don't know. Um, I'm just setting myself up for dragons now. Why doesn't it do it for the female brain? What is she thinking? Where the hell is her noise? It's strange to see everything you're thinking. You know, it was strange for me too, not knowing what's going on in your head. I mean, I don't know, you might not like my dog or you want to hit me over the head with a rock or something. I like your dog. I think that the point is we get men's thoughts all the time and it's just noise and we never hear from women. We don't listen to women and it's about time we bloody started to. Is that a point? <laughs> so assuming it is um, a higher order thinking thing um, and we can control it, and that plays out in the film too, where some men can control it a lot better than other men. I am the circle and the circle is me. You think like a woman was uh, an insult somewhere, wasn't it? Well, there's a nice example in the book, which really, for me, demonstrates that the, that noise is something you can control. Um, and that's, um, as I said, all of the animals in the book have noise. Uh, and these, these foxes on the planet, um, and the foxes eat the squirrels. And, um, oh no, not squirrels, rabbits, I think it is. Um, and the foxes had learnt to make the noise of the rabbits to attract the rabbits to them, and then they ate them. So even a fox can learn to control their noise. Um, but it seems that that is beyond the human male brain. Um, and I think that there's something um, to that in terms of what the, the you know, the, the themes of the book from a literary perspective is that um, men often have less of a filter when it comes to sharing their thoughts. I've noticed that a lot in um, scientific circles. It takes a woman to feel a lot more sure about something before she'll say something. Um, versus a, a man who will just think out loud a lot of the time. I'm I'm generalizing massively. I appreciate that. But I think that our experience affects our brains massively, as I keep saying. And I think that if you um, are somebody who has been socialized to control externalizing your thoughts via language, it may just be that you're better equipped to um, then uh, control that in an on a planet where uh your thoughts just start spinning around <laughs> in the same way on earth we did we do that by language because language is just externalizing our thoughts right um that's all it is so it's i think it's just a quite a nice uh metaphor i really interpreted that as like a really crap conversation down the pub and it's really interesting for you to to to, to spin it that way the, the way i interpreted it was like oh men are so difficult to read what are they thinking they're so closed and they never share <laughs> their emotions but then no emotions were shared in that it was all just like i am todd hewitt i am tom Jewett. ship ship <laughs> i'm on a ship Not, you know it was it was there was nothing like that but then and then similarly turning that around another guy oh, I wish I understood what women were thinking. Oh, they're just so closed, aren't they? I've got no idea what they're thinking. Imagine if it was like that on the planet, you know? And so I guess I had a bit more of like a meathead conversation down the <laughs> pub aspect to, to how this was uh, playing out. I don't know Patrick Ness. I don't know the books. I know A Monster Calls, right? I, I, that that isn't That's not the thoughts of the man who writes A Monster Calls. He's more contemplative than that. He's more empathetic than that. Mm. Keep you safe, safe, keep you safe, safe. 
Daisy Ridley. Todd is quite a departure from Spider-Man. He is, you know, doesn't know much of the world and believes what he has been told by the people in his life. So it's quite a journey for Todd. But yeah, we spent like three months running around Canada with a dog. It was great. Hannah, tell us about the books. Do you love them? I like them. I found the dog annoying, as I said previously, but I, I like the story. And I think the, I really struggled to think how they would make it into a film because of the fantasy aspects of it, because a lot of them are really, really out there. And it works in your head because you can visualise it or or make it make sense in your own mind. But I think the minute that you... Well, I think this played out in the film. When you start to try and visualise or, or, or put on screen exactly what noise looks like, sounds like, it stops making so much sense. And I think that's maybe why they stopped it for the animals, because the animals having inner dialogue in English doesn't make sense. Um, but I think in the book it almost does because they say you hear it, but I never really interpreted that as like auditory, somebody saying English words. I always interpreted it as this, well, almost like telepathy. Well, what did people think of it in, on film for people who hadn't read the books? It was a bit strange. It was almost like, it almost felt like a bit too, um, I felt like it was like an extra special effect out of Doctor Strange you know, with their, ooh, and their chakras and all of that. It felt like that. And what was really funny to me, again, this really made me giggle, was every time they were riding somewhere on their horses, there was no, there was just like this stream of noise behind them. Like, <laughs> and like the noise was getting extended as they galloped away. I was like, why is that happening? I don't understand. It just, I mean, they were trying to, I guess, make it look visually interesting or appealing or whatever but it was it was one of those things that I felt like I almost felt like yeah this is like a book and I, I feel like it would have worked so much better in a book um because I felt like I felt like I stepped into a world that I didn't know everything about like there was a lot more background detail that I was just missing and I had sort of stumbled into this maybe maybe like Daisy Ridley's character crash landed on this planet you're not quite sure what's going on you, you're seeing it you're experiencing it but you don't know what exactly is happening how it's happening and how to interpret it that works better in the book as well because the book's entirely from Todd's perspective and I felt the whole like having um Viola's character crashing and you could see the crash like in the book, you don't see the crash. You just witness the aftermath and you're as confused as Todd is, but that's appropriate. Whereas in the film, I think from what you've said, it just the confusion doesn't necessarily make sense because you've got this extra perspective there. I do like the way that sometimes the, the noise was kind of imagination and sometimes it was memory. I imagine that's brilliant in the book. It was one of those things where I was like, I, there's a really interesting concept in here and it's got slightly lost in a action movie for teenagers and I feel like the characters aren't developing like Ben I think I could love Ben if he was given more time on screen there's it though narratively I think it just it juts up a few times and it's like oh that's happened now okay I can kind of feel that we might be getting there eventually but it suddenly happened yeah I felt exactly the same Andrew that there were too many concepts at play at the same time and that's why I said it felt like a book or a, a tv series or something that someone's trying to compactify because there was you could just, if it was just purely based, there is a planet somewhere 
where this happens and just play with that concept about what happens if that was the case. But then there was this whole thing of new earth, old earth, people coming, aliens already there. And, and like, what was the thing with the aliens? Like there was there was that, but then that never like, so were the aliens good? Were they bad? Were, you know, were they just like, oh my God, were they, were they like any and every indigenous population ever? Just like, oh, what's happening? I think with the, the spackle, the understanding of the spackle in the first book is very, very limited because it's from Todd's perspective. And he's been taught this really restricted version of history because he's part of this uh, apprentice town um, where nobody's allowed to read and it's very religious. And um, his understanding of the world is very restricted. And therefore, from his perspective, that all makes sense. Um, and then in book two and three, you start to learn more and more and more and more. And I imagine if they keep making these films, that's what will happen. But I think, again, because the film's not... It, I know Todd's the, the protagonist, but it's not entirely his perspective. It makes a little bit less sense because it is, you know, they keep referring to these things and um, it sounds like that confused people because you felt like you should have more understanding um, but I think when it's from a specific character's point of view where their understanding is limited because of the story, that makes more sense. Like, I was one... Oh, sorry, go on. Go on. <laughs> I was just thinking that, like, why hadn't he ever left the village? You know, what What was, like, apart from that main mean guy, you know, the, the mayor or whatever, I wanted to know more about that. Like, why was it that he... Did he genuinely think that the entire planet was them and the aliens? Because logically... He, there would have been more people in the first wave. Did he think they all died in the war? Uh, and and if so, why were they protected in that? Like, you know, it just felt... Because he was then very happy. Initially, you thought that he was, like, the plaything of the mayor and not even his father. Um, he didn't, like, he didn't trust or believe his father um, and things like that. But then he very quickly shifts and he's like, oh, oh, no, I've got to protect the girl and make sure they don't catch her. So there was that. So he seemed, you know, like the plucky protagonist, but then why was it that so far he'd been so happy to... I think it, it is just set up like a, a fear thing where they lost the war and you don't go over there because that's where the, the aliens are. Is it, is it as simple in the book as Mean Mayor Mads Mikkelsen and Freaky Flame-Brained Priest guy were like responsible for killing all the women and that's it as i say it was a long time ago but my memory was that that was the case though more stuff gets unpacked in the second and third books i don't want to talk too much about it because i don't want to spoil things but you have to remember that these are children's books right they're not that they're, they're simple in there are they are they are they good enough read should we should we read them i'd recommend reading them yeah they're good books is this film the first book could I just pick up the second book now and run with it? My memory is that, yes, you can. You know, as we heard from Ty, it, it's been a difficult road making the film. And you can totally understand it because it's a, you know, it's an interesting concept in a book, which is clearly kind of, it's even harder than doing the demons from his dark materials. Absolutely right? what I was thinking. Absolutely. It, it, you know, the, here's, a, here's a concept that we love in the book. Are you going to get it right? And the television series of that gets it spot on. But this... I don't know. Does it work for you, Hannah? Um, I don't think so, because I think in my head it was a lot more abstract than here is some English words, here is some pictures, um, because 
might be just because I think a lot about sort of what thought sounds like for different people that it just becomes a lot more abstract and you can make it whatever you want it to be in the book but for the film it was like this is what it sounds like for everybody he's stronger than he knows you better watch your noise snake 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 if those men catch you they'll kill you get in the boat if you want to protect the girls you have to leave now i really struggled with the lack of motivation in the character's actions. So, for example, Todd's character sees the mayor as a, a father figure, someone that he wants to, you know, look up to, wants to impress. And all of a sudden, for no reason whatsoever, he starts running away from him and trying to help, you know, think about stuff. Then, you know, similarly, Daisy Ridley's character, Viola, why does she go back to that barn? She's got literally no reason to go to that barn and hang out in that barn. I mean, if anything, Todd chased her and dobbed her in. You wouldn't be like, I'm gonna go back to that guy. And then like, it was just, and then that alien appeared and you're like, well, what is the alien doing? That played no part. They didn't have to defeat the alien or do anything. It just came in, he stabbed him a bit and he went away. And then they went to that new the other town. I can't remember what it was called. And then they're like, you need to go to Haven. And then halfway along, they were like, Haven? Oh, look, we just found the ship. And that, and that, that completely got forgotten. And I was like, oh, that was convenient, you know. So it was, it, in terms of a story arc as well, it was quite choppy and changing. So. I actually quite like the alien, the sparkle thing. I think the scene with the, with the CGI alien in the pond is quite... Uh, is quite the CGI alien is quite actually quite good. It, it's sort of you know the body language says to me it was not the aliens. It wasn't the sparkles that killed them, and it's at that moment that I kind of got okay. It's the it's the mayor. It's the of course it is. It's the religious leader and the mayor. It's the politician and the religious leader who've caused the problems. Who knew? So Steve, um, I, you enjoyed the film. Um- I think I'm split along the same lines as the Rotten Tomatoes critics versus general public scores. It's it's got seventy seven or something like that from the like general rating, and twenty two percent from the critics. And I th- I think my my brain is diverging on those lines even more now we're talking about it um, because. I think on the face of it, it's an entertaining movie. Uh, it was a reasonably good watch with some reasonably good actors and Nick Jonas. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> and um, the, like, yeah, I, I want to know what happens next. I'd like to see the next film or maybe I'll read the book. Um, probably not enough to go out and buy it right now. Um but when you start pulling it apart like we are, then yeah, it's, it falls right apart into tiny little pieces. Um, I think, and maybe this says something about me as a film consumer, like I'd still watch the next one. Um, I'd want to see where the story goes. It's interesting enough. It's a it's an intriguing concept that makes you think. Um, but yeah, as a as a film, yeah, it needs needs some. I, I it's. <laughs> From what Ty said about the the way that it was made, I really want to know which bits are from which um, set of 
filming and what the first cut was like for them to have to wait 18 months to get another round of filming in. Um, that is interesting from a sort of disastrous film <laughs> point of view. That is too many films in one. Either you make it, look, all the thoughts can be seen. How amazing is that on this planet? And have a story around that. Or it's about first wave colonizers, second wave colonizers. How do they deal with that? Or it's about colonizers versus aliens, you know, or it's about this journey or, and you do other, you know what I mean? There was, there was too many things and we kept having our distraction. Oh, now it's about the aliens. Oh no, now it's about getting the ship and the colonizers. What about the thoughts? And oh, down, now there's one woman on a planet full of men. Oh, you know, there was so much going on that you could make four films out of that one concept. Yeah, I think it would work as a TV show. I mean, it's not a short book. Um, and I think that that's probably yeah. what the problem is. I think that might be the problem because it's, it's, it is a quite short film, isn't it? I, I mean, things that I liked about it would be the performances, particularly Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley and Maz Nicholson. I enjoyed some of the effects. Some of the effects looked a bit kind of stuck on afterwards. I came away from it going okay, I want to read the books, but I want to read the books because I've got a nine-year-old daughter and I want to know whether I can give them to her yet because I think there's interesting concepts in there. What I want the film to do is speak to me more. I think it should be funnier. They tried. Did they? When? Well, there was all the slaps to come a boy and a fancy girl stuff. I suppose that might be funny if you're a teenager, I guess. I did like the bit where that guy broke into the house Mm. and we were like, oh no, and she just like hogtied him and was emptying the fridge. I thought that was good. I would have liked to see like a second shot of her, like you know, knocking him out or something. But I mean, yeah, that was that was nice because you're you're thinking it's going to be like Tom is going to run in at the last second and save her, and she's like, "No, I'm fine," kind of thing, you know. Can I can I just take a moment to say that I would have I would have allowed anything in the film, but the dog, no. Just no. This is what I wanted to talk to Hannah about because you mentioned that that was something that Patrick Ness insisted on before he saw the film. T- tell me about that. What was his? Why did he want the dog to die? Just tell me that. I don't know why. I just know that he got when he sold the rights to the film, he got them to write into the contract that any film that got made, the dog had to die. And maybe he's just a cruel, cruel man. Maybe you did say the dog was annoying. <laughs> Like, I'm so over the whole, co- like, this idea, whatever form of art it is, whether it's a book or a film or a TV series or whatever, where some some living creature is introduced or, or, or its entire purpose is, is to pull at your heartstrings and then they just kill it, but not to actually add... It's not part of the plot. It's not really part of the storyline. They're doing it. It's exactly, it's exactly why I could never get past three episodes of Game of Thrones where it's just like willy-nilly killing people just to be like, oh, and now these people are dead. Oh, they're, you know, it, it, that, I mean, well, with Game of Thrones, it was that and the... Um, There's also dragons. Yes, but I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but uh, dragons, cool, but unnecessary killing and raping. I'm just, I'm just over That's it. Fair. I'll totally give you that. That gratification of, of you know, um, throwing in a rape storyline, it's very similar to kill a, 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 a sort of such an innocent creature as a dog. And it felt exactly like that. Like, you know, I mean, I wasn't even sure what the point of the preacher was. I had no idea about his motivations because he didn't seem to like the mayor. But then he was like, 
and he kept calling her an angel of but then he wanted to kill her anyway or, or you know and then oh his his weird death scene where he just walks away on fire <laughs> because he can't tell the difference between the voices in his head and the god that he believes in he's also been led to believe by um the mayor that he should kill her, and he's been part of the killing of the women i think my understanding of it and and he is therefore completely destroyed by that and doesn't his the voices in his head are saying thou shalt not kill and yet his religion has led to the deaths of you know the whole of uh, a whole section of society which must be very difficult for people who believe like that but yeah. i tell you what i did the one scene that i really liked with the thoughts was um when Todd was walking up the hill behind Viola, Viola, he's kind of frustrated and out of breath and stuff. I kind of, I liked that. That worked. I don't know why that scene worked particularly well for me, but it did. Do you know what I really liked with the noise was um, when Todd was remembering an interaction he'd had with Viola. Viola? I mean, you've got me questioning how I'm saying it now. <laughs> um, what, um, in his noise, she had her own voice and I think that that's something else that's really diverse between humans is um, how we remember other people saying stuff and as a question a colleague of mine once asked me was um, when I send you an email and you're reading the email do you read that email in my voice or in your voice Um, and for me if I know the person I read it in their voice but not everybody does that Mm. Um, do they not? So, do you do that? I do that. If I send you an email, you read it as if it's it's my smoggy tone saying it. Yeah, it sounds. It's that basically I could be in the middle of the northeast of England. I nearly said Newcastle just to annoy you. Um, but... <laughs> I, I, I met I met Patrick Ness once in Antwerp when I lived in Belgium, and. Um, he was doing a book signing and I brought him my copy of The Knife of Never Letting Go. Um, and I just started chatting to him and he and he kind of said, what, what, are you, what are you doing here? As if to say, why are you, somebody who's clearly from the northeast of England, here in Antwerp? Um, and, I, and I kind of explained and he went, oh, so you're a Geordie then? And I went, no, 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 I'm not a Geordie. I'm a smoggy. And he went, all right. And he signed my book for Hannah Geordie. Clearly wasn't listening, was he, Hannah? Clearly wasn't listening. I think he was, and he was just (laughs) trolling me. And now it's just written in pen. And I... (laughs) With her power, there's no telling what he can do. I need that girl before she wants him. How many are coming? A hundred. Two hundred. Thousands. They do tone down the thoughts, right? Because I don't know about you, but I think a lot more than the people in this film. Right? I's, you, I'm just walking along and I'm thinking about stuff. That's what I was thinking. That like maybe because their thoughts are projected, the the, the way they think has become more shuttered. And that's what I was thinking. That like I mean, I don't know about again. I don't know about what goes on in anyone else's head, but I don't think that we also have only one constant main you know there's there's you might be thinking about so many things at the same time in your head and there there might be the louder more conscious things at that time and other little background voices and thoughts or maybe it's just me and all the voices in my head but you know so so 
I mean, that would be interesting. And, and I mean, obviously, like we see that they learn to project what they're thinking and and some of them, like as as Todd manages in the end with all the many people, etc., that you can really project that. But obviously you're actively doing that. So that's like that active thinking, but there's always something, you know, going on subconsciously, isn't there? So like, and I mean, that 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 kind of thinking was like, you know, other other media has has explored that and a literal example of using that very literally is from from Harry Potter with the the <laughs> Voldemort and Harry Potter um mental link thanks to the horcrux etc and you know um what what of that was real and what isn't so what you know but but i always felt even with that that if you're actively thinking something to make someone think you're thinking something it's like the thing where someone's like don't think of an elephant so you're actively not thinking of an elephant but there's a bit of you thinking about not thinking of the elephant. Like the Marshmallow Man. Yes, exactly like the Marshmallow Man. What did you do, Ray? We used to roast say first marshmallows. Speaking of Ray, here's Daisy Ridley. I don't know that I'd be so worried about me, but I genuinely don't care to hear other people's thoughts. It's funny, I was watching Notting Hill last night and you know the bit where Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant are sat in the restaurant and they overhear the guys talking. And it's like a classic example of people thinking they're not being overheard, but they are. And it is so awful to watch. And that's actually them choosing to say what they're saying. But I feel like it would be that all the time. And in London, it would be so noisy. Like it's already noisy. Imagine being on rush hour. Be quiet. Hannah. Would you have any fear, really, about people hearing your thoughts? Is this one of those, you don't hear if you've got something to hide things, but there's people who I don't want to know everything about me. I suppose there's people who could use it against you. Well, as as someone with ADHD, I'm generally quite used to vocalising what I think about everything, annoyingly, so I'm just kind of used to it. I don't understand the concepts of an internal monologue. I have thoughts, I think things... Sometimes I think through those thoughts before I say them. Quite often, somebody will ask me a question, I'll spend time thinking about it before answering. Sometimes I'll just think as as I speak, like now, that's what's happening. But I don't think there's a difference between the thoughts and me speaking, apart from the fact that I'm just not voicing them. I don't think there's a third voice. Is there a third voice that's this kind of... No, no, the, the voice is your voice, and that that is the internal monologue. You're monologuing internally rather than externally like you normally do but that's just your thoughts there's like a huge diversity in how people um think so some people can't visualize things at all some people only visualize things in black and white some people visualize things in beautiful color and realistic pictures um some people have a monologue that is just first person some people have a monologue that is third person that does say he went to the fridge to get a beer um, uh, some people have that and some people just have thoughts and they think about thoughts but they don't think about them in, in full sentences um, and everybody does it differently and so I feel like it is just this I mean as I said earlier it's just this assumption that everybody has a similar sim- um, similar experience to you but that is just an assumption based on that you've made for yourself and nobody questions it because everybody's just wandering around assuming the same thing Lovely. But like, so just before we go then, um, who would everybody have very quickly as the narrator 
in their head. Neil Gaiman. Andrew Lester. David Tennant. I just instantly thought of a Dalek. (laughs) (laughs) You are going down the street. You are looking at a car. Oh, that would be so stressful. Andrew, what about you? What about you? The first thought I had was Carl Sagan. And then I thought maybe Sasha Sagan. But then I thought, no, hang on. Let's do Jodie Foster. That would be amazing. I'd love Jodie Foster. Mm. Why, why just one? I, I want Neil Gaiman and my nan. Oh. I'd like the two of them to do the voices. Will Ferrell. <laughs> yeah. Morgan Freeman. Yeah. I'd probably go for Frank Black or Black Francis from the Pixies because I think he's got mm. a really wide range of vocals and he can do angry really well, but he can also do calm really well. So with just one voice, you get a whole range of emotions. Well, well I mean, I, I want someone with, you know, who can do multiple languages too. And that's a whole other thing, how people who speak more than one language think differently. And, and there was also this crazy thing about this one set of people who don't, their language has no um, concept of time, I think. So like, and, and they don't, oh no, direction, that was it. They don't have direction. All their direction is in time. So they don't have like a north, south, up, down, sideways. They have a 10 minutes that way kind of thing. And that's how they entirely communicate. So it's, it's a really good TED talk. <laughs> this reminds me of um, Andy Weir's new book called Hail Mary. And we'll be speaking to Andy Weir very soon on The Cosmic Shed. Next week, that episode is going to be out. So thank you very much to Hannah, Tushner, Russell and Steve Bye. for joining me here on the virtual cosmic shed i cannot wait until we get back into the actual cosmic shed that is going to be a lovely lovely thing and thank you very much indeed Can you believe we say this to daisy ridley for being on this episode of the cosmic shed and thank you very much for listening the cosmic shed science fact science fiction and everything in between this podcast is brought to you by the stimulus network i'm, I'm Ty Ty Hewitt. Hewitt.